Physics World. Hello and welcome to the Physics World Stories podcast. I'm Andrew Glester and in this episode we're going to be exploring the life and work of Satyajit Ray. In the Physics World magazine this month and on physicsworld.com you'll find a feature by Andrew Robinson delving into the life and work of the famed Bengali film director who blended art and science. Ray was born in Calcutta in 1921 and as we'll hear was not just a film director but also an established author, essayist, magazine editor, illustrator, calligrapher and music composer. Between 1955 and 1991, he directed almost 30 features, as well as short films and documentaries. He won an Oscar and other leading prizes at international film festivals. But don't take my word for it. Last year, on the centenary of Ray's birth, the American film director Martin Scorsese said that his films are truly treasures of cinema, and everyone with an interest in film needs to see them. Andrew Robinson joins us for this episode of the podcast and we'll hear about the influence that Satyajit Ray has had on physicists who've loved his work since they were children. One such physicist is Momita Dasgupta, who'll join us later in the podcast. And we'll hear about how one film, The Alien, that wasn't quite made, has caused a little bit of controversy surrounding Steven Spielberg. That's all to come. This podcast is sponsored by the GNBKL Group, a world-class manufacturer of vacuum hardware including chambers, valves and components. Make sure you watch their online game show, Will It Bloat, where they place everyday objects such as a hot dog, a chocolate Easter bunny and even an air cylinder into a vacuum chamber to see if they bloat. You can watch America's Favourite Vacuum Show at vacuumchamber.com. Here's Andrew Robinson. He he was a very serious uh, success as a as a science fiction writer in Bengali. Um, I mean, there's a there's a character called Professor Shonku who is based on um, Conan Doyle, I think, and other writers in the past. Um, and he's a, a, a been quite a success in in Bengali. And then there's a detective that's created by Ray who. Uh, called Feluda, who is also, he made films about him. And the detective is a scientist as well in, in, in his rational attitude to his to finding criminals and dealing with them. Uh, and I think those are rather famous books, even in um, the rest of India, not just in Bengal, where Ray comes from, because they've all been translated into English. And a lot of young people know Ray because of his children's writing, so to speak, his detective writing, which is also enjoyed by adults too. Tell me about him as a person, were you knowing him more than most, I guess? Yeah, um, he was He was a very private man, uh, despite being a film director. Um, some people thought he was a loner. Um, I mean, he did have a family, but he, from an early age, was a single child uh, no brothers and sisters because his father died when he was very young and so there weren't any more in the family and he grew up very much uh, as an only child reading and drawing a lot uh, and becoming a really fine illustrator um, and I got to know him of course much later in life when he was 
you know, very well known and had become a, um, a very successful director, not only in India, but also abroad. So it was a rather different uh, experience from meeting him when he was younger. But I could see the young person still in the way he would sit for many, many, many hours alone working at home. Um, and he said, I always feel more creative when I'm in my chair in Calcutta. So although he traveled the world, he really liked to be sitting in his chair in Calcutta. But then he would go to the studio and he would work with a whole group of people uh, in a very social way, um, including actors like Richard Attenborough. And he could work with a group, but he also spent a lot of time alone. And I, I was fascinated by that contrast because most film directors are sociable creatures. They have to be, even if they don't want to be, they have to be to succeed. Uh, Ray managed to be both. Uh, he said, I, I seem a bit aristocratic when I'm at home alone, but I'm a complete Democrat when I'm working in the studio. You know, everybody works together. And the other thing that I would like to say about him is he was a polymath. Um, as a director, only Charles Chaplin did as much as Ray did in terms of producing a film. I mean, Ray did everything from writing the script to designing the sets to directing it, of course, and casting the actors, but he also composed the music. Chaplin did that. Very, very few other directors have done that successfully. He was behind the camera, too, through all his later films. Uh, so there are a lot of pictures of him hard at work behind the camera. And then he was a, a really successful writer of fiction and a magazine editor and, and a very talented illustrator who'd worked in, for a British advertising company in Calcutta. And he, he, he had many other strings to his bow. Um, and I think for that reason, he was immensely uh, intriguing if you were coming from abroad. How does somebody grow up like this in, in a very uh, crowded city, uh, very alone, but also very involved um, and very polymathic and somehow succeeding and surviving? Because he had very little money. Um, he came from a family with a bit of money, but his father died and um, he, was, he grew up poor. There's no question. He had to have a job before he could get a work as a filmmaker. And that was his work as an advertising man. Mm, okay. So maybe polymathery, if that's a word, is, uh, is through necessity. I think it came naturally, but I think it helped him. I mean, there's no question that the ability to, to draw uh, people, landscapes, cartoons, um, and his father is the most famous nonsense verse writer in Bengal. He's like Edward Lear or Lewis Carroll in Bengal. Shukumar Rai is just a household name. People still know his verses by heart. And so uh, Ray inherited some of those abilities, but he also uh, created them as well by, by, by working hard. I got interested in him, I think, when I was a student, really. Uh, I was studying chemistry, and I'd been to India um, just in a gap between school and university to do a bit of teaching. And, you know, I was pretty interested in India. And, and then um, he suddenly appeared in London 
1977, um, when I was sort of just entering my 20s. And he, he came to the premiere of his rather fine um, historical drama, The Chess Players, with Richard Attenborough uh, playing a British general and some wonderful Indian actors like Saeed Jaffrey and uh, Shabana Azmi. And there he was standing on the stage at the premiere in um, London's National Film Theatre, launching this film, and it hadn't really been finished. So the subtitles didn't exist. So Saeed Jaffrey had to do a, an earphone commentary. And uh, he did it wonderfully well. His English was as good as his Urdu. He was in the film, of course, but he was doing the commentary for all of this packed house. And Ray apparently had a pair of headphones, but he... He was listening to the commentary, but then one of the usherettes said to him, could, could I borrow them? And he was very decent. And he said, yes, you have them, and I'll just watch the film. <laughs> Brilliant. So I got, I got rather taken with him after seeing him on stage um, with, with his actor. And I got in touch with him eventually and said, I had a job in a publishing house, and I, I said, would you like to uh, write your autobiography? Um, which is a bit cheeky of me, really, because I, I didn't really have the right to ask this. But he, he, he was quite friendly and he replied saying, I, I'm so busy, but if I ever do write it, may I send the manuscript to you? So we got onto friendly written communication. And then I met him in person uh, in London in 1982 and, and I interviewed him for a film magazine. And it went very well, and uh, we spoke for more than three hours. And uh, I think that was the beginning of our, our relationship, our friendship, really. And after that, I used to go and see him in India, watch him shooting his one of his famous films in the 1980s. And I published the book, I think, in 1989, after a lot of work. So I've got a science background. My father was a physicist at Oxford. Um, in electronics, and um, I have to say he was not at all interested in in Ray. <laughs> <laughs> he was very interested in um, India. Uh, he had some Indian physicist friends, but not really in the cinema. He was not, just not interested. So I know a lot of physicists probably don't know who Ray is, uh, frankly speaking, but some do, and um, it's fair to say that some quite well-known people in physics have been interested in him, like um, uh, Arthur C. Clarke, who was trained in that field before he took up science fiction. And, and Arthur C. Clarke loved Ray's films. And then there's a few others that uh, I've mentioned uh, in my piece for Physics World, um, including an Indian uh, theoretical physicist who's pretty well known in quantum physics, uh, Deepankar Holm. He's been, he's a Bengali from Calcutta, and he's been following Ray all his life um, because he's he loves his science fiction. Uh, he used to write science fiction as well, and he he loves all of his films. And there are many, even in science, who who have seen some of the the really famous films. And Arthur Clarke said the first film was one of the most heartbreakingly beautiful films ever made, uh, Pato Panchali, and that was the one that made Ray famous in the world that's that launched him in 1955 
Here's Momita Dasgupta. I'm an assistant professor, a tenure track at uh, Augsburg University. It's a small liberal art college, which is located in Minneapolis, uh, in Minnesota, United States. My training as a physicist started as an experimental physicist. My PhD was at the intersection of fluid mechanics and solid dynamics. I tried to understand the physics behind how microorganisms swim. Before we go on to talk about Ray, I just wonder if you could help me because I've heard his name pronounced a number of different ways. How is it actually pronounced? The Bengali pronunciation would be Shotujit Rai. But of course, uh, Satyajit Ray is how, uh, like, you know, folks go by. And I think he also went by, uh, like, you know, because as you know, he was very uh, famous among non-Indian people and population. But Shotojit Rai is the Bengali population. Satyajit Ray is what everyone calls him by. Is it fair to say that you're a bit of a fan? Oh, yes, totally. I am the fangirl. Uh, like forever Satyajit Ray fan. As some people like to call infamously, they call themselves racist, the R-A-Y-C-I-S-T. I I wouldn't go to that extent, but uh, because I have some problem with the word. But uh, yeah, I'm close. Why are you such a fan? I was introduced to Satyajit uh, Ray's works, like mostly his short stories and detective novels. Uh, which were targeted towards young adults. And uh, I think um, I was introduced when I was pretty young, like, you know, and that opened doors to, I think, everything that I am and, you know, how I think and how I function. Uh, It had a very strong impact on me as a young adult. So, for example, um, one of my favorite works is his uh, detective novel called Feluda. So this is this detective character, like Sherlock Holmes uh, character. And I think at some point it, it was inspired by uh, Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes, but very different kind of a character. And this guy was this investigative journalist who would go and investigate cases And Ray had this really beautiful way of intertwining his stories with other things that interested him and was very capable of interesting young adults like travel and then some interesting aspects in travel and uh, science and very evidence-based investigations. And all of those to young minds, I think those are simple enough for them to grasp yet imaginative enough for them to kind of get their run their thoughts and their imaginations and his descriptions were very vivid and he was a great illustrator so some of his work he would actually draw sketches not all like you know after a couple of pages so you could actually see the characters like you know uh, as if in front of you when you were reading them so he had that capacity so i think all of that together sort of attracted me reading more of Ray's work and the language, very lucid, very, very um, geared and targeted towards young adults, nothing of the literature to an extent, like, you know, sometimes my mom who was like, you know, into literature, uh, she would say, oh, why are you reading? Like, you know, his work doesn't have literary values, but what it had was mostly imagination. And I think for young adults, that was more appealing rather than the literary value. And then I started reading more work. I started watching more films. His films, I would say, 
watching them at different times of my life, they have had different interpretations because, uh, again, as everyone knows, the great filmmaker he was, he had very subtle hints about a lot of things like class struggles, caste struggles, and about human beings, how he portrayed women and how he portrayed like the society as a whole, the interplay between different roles and different um, aspects of the society. Um, yeah, so, you know, as I grew up, like, and I started and watched more and more of his movies, I think I understood, or at a, every time I understand things at different, and different aspects of things that he tried to portray in a very subtle manner. But as a young adult, it was mostly his books that attracted, and he had made a couple of movies for young adults also. So there are a couple of Feluda movies. Um, that's the detective character that I was talking about. And then there was also uh, this um, other character called Professor Shonku. So Professor Shonku was this mad scientist uh, character that he introduced who would travel different parts of the world and then, you know, through his scientific discoveries would try to solve some, uh, he was not more, he was not like kind of an investigator like Feluda was, but he, through his inventions, would try to do something good for the world. And he was a nonviolent person, even though he worked with a lot of machines and uh, stuff. And, you know, he, and very crude. He would work from a laboratory based in his basement, like in the house. And then he's building these things and there are chemical reactions. And then he's building this, like his first story was like, he built this snuff gun and, uh, you know, somebody who would sniff the like a thing from the gun, they would sneeze for like 56 times. So it's very imaginative, like imagination wrapped around with the uh, like, you know, the science. So that was another character that um, I read. And um, yeah, and he had a, several, a bunch of short stories also, uh, which were also very popular among young adults. You mentioned the science there. Would you credit him with your interest in science? Was it, did he inspire you in some way to become a scientist? Yes, yes, I think it did. I think it did. So, you know, in his writing, it I mean, I don't know about the science part, okay? But the investigative nature, which is very key to being a scientist, I think that was somewhere honed by Satyajit Ray's reading a lot of Satyajit Ray because you would find a clue about something that interests you and then you would go and find something else that aligns with that interest. And I think even now, I was talking to my husband, like, you know, a couple of days earlier, and it's like, even now, I think I follow that, like, what I really want to do. It's like, I collect clues from something. And then I go and be like, oh, okay, what can I find about this? Where can I go and look for this resource that is going to help me, you know, figure more things about this. And so it's, it's all about, like, I think for me, more than the science, which is something that, you know, one could pick up from books and like enough education and the training in academia. It is that investigative nature, which which I think is something I imbibed from reading a lot of Ray as a kid. There is also this other part about, you know, being original, like, you know, finding something original, even if it is like you you read information, different people before you have collected, but you have the power to create your story and narrative, uh, like, you know, by 
seeing the information, but you, because you are bringing in yourself also in your experience also into the uh, entire, uh, like, you know, story. So I think that that requires some imagination and being exposed and to Ray and Ray's readings, I felt that is also, that was like this other takeaway um, that, that kind of, I think has shaped me and my nature uh, growing up and, um, you know, <laughs> whatever I do today. I'm thinking about when I speak to um, scientists across well, across the world, really, but certainly um, the, the English-speaking world, when you, you ask scientists of a certain age what first got them interested in science, that quite a lot of them will say Star Trek. Is Ray a similar kind of influence in, in, in India? No, I would not say so. So first of all, India is vast, and uh, Ray was very particular about, though he has a couple of works that he had uh, done in non-Bengali, but he was like mostly this Bengali guy who was obsessed about Bengal and most of his work was about Bengal and done in Bengal. Even the story Alien, which never really got made, was also very based on Bengal because he always maintained that that's the language he is most comfortable in communicating and expressing himself also. So I would say I lucked out, like, you know, I was born in Bengal and like, you know, that, that kind of um, like I could read his books, which were written in Bengali. But as I was growing up, a lot of it was also translated into other languages. But um, when I met other folks around India, I did not think they were as much impacted as I was, or maybe I am that other biased Bengali who just thinks everything about Bengal is great. Um, but uh, I would take that opinion with a pinch of salt. But um, yeah, I would say like most Bengali kids have, yeah, they have been impacted more because his medium, his movies and his uh, writings, most of them were in Bengali. And it is not just him. So Satyajit Ray's father, Shukumar Rai or Shukumar Ray, was also this, like, you know, he used to write these poetries about, um, and unfortunately he died very young. So there aren't a lot of like, you know, uh, like um, he doesn't have that body of work that a uh, lot of other people have throughout their lifetime. I think he died when he was 32 or 36, very young. But he was this genius-minded guy, and he used to write these poems, like bizarre poems about these imaginative animals, about uh, like you know, and them doing things. And if you read them carefully, sometimes they, sometimes it would, you would think that they don't make any sense. It's just to uh, like you know, uh, pick a child's brain and their imagination. But it was actually also a lot about society and different, uh, like, you know, how society functions. And I think Satyajit Ray was also very inspired by, uh, you know, that writing. And in Bengal at that time, there were other writers who were kind of, you know, writing and following that path. And there were these body of works, which, you know, as kids growing up, let's say, from the late 1950s through even till now had access to in Bengali. Uh, so 
I would say Bengal disproportionately got like the more dose of that uh, than rest of the country. Um, and I don't know, but a lot of people in Bengal take up science and fundamental science, not just uh, like, you know, become engineer because in the rest of the country, it's more about, you know, uh, with the boom and IT booms, people tend to become more engineers, but Bengal is a place like there has been a constant influx of uh, fundamental scientists. And I won't be surprised if, uh, you know, Ray, Ray's father, Shukumar Ray, there was, uh, there were other writers, sci-fi writers too, if they would have helped, uh, you know, forming some of the interests when they were young. I can see how his, the imagination side of the, the science fiction side of things is inspired by his father's poetry and, that side of things but where do you know have a sense of where the science interest came from so ray lost his father when he was two or three years old and i think he spent a lot of time in his life to discover his father through his work and his father was a trained scientist his father was um, he did his uh, bachelor's in physics and chemistry from this uh, very prestigious presidency college in calcutta and his grand Satyajit Ray's grandfather or Shukumar Ray's father, his name was Upendra Kishore uh, Rai Choudhury. He was also uh, uh, like he used to write kids' novels, and they were at that time bringing these uh, block prints and other kinds of printing. They had a big printing press to publish their stories and their illustrations. They would be doing that, and Shukumar Ray was also a great illustrator and he eventually went to london i think yeah he went to london and over there he um again did um this courses on photography and lithography and uh because he was interested in illustrations and he he has journal articles and he was into publishing his work and his understanding of that and uh so Satyajit Ray's father was very much like he was a scientist by training and he kind of honed his skills towards things he was interested in. And then he went back to Calcutta to, uh, you know, run the press and they had these magazines, which they were, you know, publishing on a daily basis. But unfortunately, he, uh, you know, he contracted this uh, very rare disease and he was ailing for a couple of years before he died. But Satyajit Ray did not spend a lot of time with his father in childhood. So a large part of his life was, uh, you know, a lot of people say, and I have read also, was discovering his father through his works. And um, I have read their bookshelves has a lot of books about H.G. Uh, Wells and uh, like, you know, uh, Arthur Conan Doyle. We know him for Sherlock Holmes, but he has also written his fair bit of sci-fi stuff. And uh, so... He did read a lot of those things while, you know, in his formative years. And he liked to call himself the science fiction enthusiast. Uh, like, you know, so he would read a lot about them. And once he started writing Professor Shonku, this character I was talking about, like the mad scientist uh, from 1960s, he actually, you know, systematically read more about science and scientific discoveries and scientific uh, like, you know, the discourse and so that, you know, the facts and things that he was producing was not something bizarre. And like, you know, he wanted to be correct about that. 
So, um, you know, and then he kind of totally took to that. And there was a sci-fi club called Ashurjo or Fantasy. Fantastic, I think, was the name of the sci-fi club, which was created in Bengal. And they actually um, started like screening a lot of sci-fi movies, which were available around that time. And Satyajit Ray would go above and beyond his busy schedule to actually like, you know, get the prints of these movies and screen them. And he was very good friends with Arthur Clarke. So, uh, you know, and uh, he would like, you know, and also I think he was in corresponding with Bradshaw, like, you know, so they would be just uh, sort of exchanging um, letters about science fiction and dis- a lot of discussion would go on. And a lot of his stories and things that he would publish later, like, you know, uh, through his different sci-fi, the, the characters would be based on some of these knowledges. Like I was talking about Feluda. He was like this character who would be doing some investigative journalism, but then he would be talking about a character, let's say, who got killed by uh, some poison. And then he would put the fact that, oh, this poison could only be administered if someone has a certain health condition, and this would be a bad combination for that person. So, you know, there's science in that. Like, you you cannot just come up with that. So he used to do those research and like do those works. It's not just about science at a fiction level, uh, like with all the cosmo, like the cosmological uh, sort of things, but also basic things like uh, there was a lot of attention to detail and the science behind them. My science fiction interest covers some of those 60s films that we saw. First Met in the Moon, Destination Moon, that kind of moon focus that came along and space focus that came along with the uh, the moon landings and the space race. And it, it, Ray's film script for the alien was produced in 1967 in, in the height of that is that it, uh, was he inspired do you think by the space race and it was that a similar thing in indian cinema and in indian science fiction at the time that's actually uh, kind of unheard what ray sort of delved into because indian cinema at that point was not uh, dealing even today <clears throat> indian cinema don't delve into those kind of topic but ray the visionary he was his first movie pather panchali he kind of just you know he was so original he he just and anything and everything he did was nothing similar to what was going on around him so uh yeah i would say it was not a reflection was of what was going around but the journey could be understood because in 1961, so they had these magazine called Shondesh, which uh, used to be published during his father's time. It was a very popular magazine, but then it kind of, uh, like, you know, the interest and in everything fizzled out. Um, and in 1961, his friend, who was the editor of that magazine, asked him, and they wanted to bring out the magazine again because there was, again, a lot of literary interest. And they asked Satyajit Ray to write. He was not a writer. So we have to think this person, he started his career as an illustrator. He used to work in uh, like, you know, an advertising agency. From there, he became a filmmaker. And he like, you know, in 1955, Pothir Panchali released. And then after that, he was doing really well. And there were like three, four other very good movies that came out. The entire Pothir Panchali, it's a part of trilogy of three movies. 
those movies came out around that. And around 1961, they wanted, because there was a lot of interest around him, they wanted to kind of, you know, revive this magazine. And his friend asked him to write, uh, like, you know, and because this was mostly geared towards uh, young adults and uh, young people, they asked him to write. And he wrote for the first time. And he introduced this character, like, you know, uh, Professor Shonku, and he started writing about them. And I think that had, and he has also said in different places that it started like as this funny, mad scientist in the beginning, but after that, things got very serious. And that was a direct, uh, like, you know, it has direct correlation with Ray's interest into science, uh, like reading about science, like reading journals. And I have read like, you know, he had subscription to science and like, you know, other scientific magazines where he would be reading up upon them to help him write. But he was actually building up on his intuition about and he also had the A.G. Wells and like, you know, his other backgrounds about uh, like, you know, his part of his father's works were also like, you know, had that sci-fi relationship. So then he started uh, like, you know, writing this more and there's this interview of ray in uh, the 80s which i heard it's in bengali actually where he talks about this and he said that shonku became more serious because of his interest now that was the timeline around 90 that started around 1961 so by 1967 if he was writing this uh like you know uh, the alien which was again based on the first writing that he wrote in shandesh uh, like uh, the Bonku Babu diary, that was something he wrote for Shandesh. And that was the screenplay that he later adapted for, uh, you know, the alien. And there was also this another one called Bomjatri diary that was Shonku's first uh, novel. And I think there are parts of that also which are adapted into this. So I think you can, if you follow the chronology, you can see that, you know, he was kind of following his interest and he became very passionate about it and this writing was like a product of that um that thing you were speaking to somebody or somebody was listening now who'd never heard of of Ray's work and and, and you said right you've got to start with this one where do they start I would say there is no chronology just pick up the one you know that you like and uh you know, your interest would be picked to an extent that you would become the investigator to find out which one you want to read. But uh, basically, it totally depends on interests. Like, uh, I would say, um, if you are into uh, reading investigative, like, you know, detective uh, kind of novels, reading Feluda, and he has a series of stories in Feluda, that's, that's really good. Uh, then Professor Shonku is like the other ones. These are for young adults. And he has these bunch of short stories also. Um, if you are not into reading, there's a reporter of his movies that you could uh, watch, starting from uh, Pothir Panchali. Like there are these three Pothir Panchali, uh, like in the Opu trilogy movies. And then if you watch uh, like further, then the 70s, he became more political, which was, I think, a reflection of how uh, Bengal, like, you know, his, uh, like, you know, where he belonged, the politics over there kind of shaped his narrative, I think, in his movies. And then there's this movie called Devi and Charulata, where he beautifully, and Ghore Bairi, these three are one of, like, you know, 
some of my favorite movies of how he depicted women characters in that movie. He had a very unique way of depicting uh, women characters. So uh, I would say in the movies, then you can just follow the chronology. But uh, till the 1992, uh, where, uh, you know, and he started making more movies that was an intersection between families and values, like kind of moved and delved into that genre also, but very heavily based on also politics and what was going on in the society. Um, in his writings, um, I would say since most of his writings were like for magazines or like were published like short stories for magazines, they are not very organized. Like later people have organized their, those stories into like in you know, anthologies or books, which are available now. But um that's the beauty. I think Ray's work doesn't have um, that kind of thing that, oh, you read one and you can start from anywhere. And I think the flavor is intact, like everywhere. We'll return to Momita later in the podcast. And being able to trace the inspiration for a science fiction writer, a science fiction filmmaker will become particularly interesting in this next section. But first, I asked Andrew Robinson that same question. Where would he start if he was recommending that somebody comes to Ray's work? Oh, I think the films are undoubtedly what people should go for, and not too many of them. Uh, I mean, there are about 30 feature films, um, but I think just about everybody who's interested in world cinema will have seen the first trilogy of films, the Apu trilogy. Um, that is perhaps the most famous but I would like to suggest you see The Chess Players as well because that's the film that got me going and it's partly in English, which helps. Uh, most of his films are in Bengali alone, um, but this is partly in English, so you can follow the rather uh, trenchant conversations between Richard Attenborough as the British general and his ADC, uh, who doesn't agree with him, and then the king of... Oud, who is the British are trying to make him abdicate his throne so they can grab Lucknow and the state that the king rules over. And eventually they get their way. And Richard Attenborough told me that, that I, every breath in my body was, was against what the general was doing, but I was, <laughs> I was still acting the part and I had to do it as well as I could. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he managed to pull it off. I recommend that film. Uh, and there are some others. There's 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 a there's a, a a love story set in Victorian Calcutta called Charulata, which everyone has seen. Peter Sellers loved that film. People like that. In fact, all over the world, people love Charulata. Okay, wasn't Peter Sellers supposed to be, um, or highlighted as a possible for one of the roles in one of his other films? Yeah, sure. Um, Peter Sellers and he met in Paris um, in in 1967 over lunch and they got on very well. Um, Peter Sellers was, was surrounded by um, waiters in, in, in the restaurant because they loved Inspector Clouseau. And even though he couldn't speak any French, he pretended he spoke in Franglais. And Ray Rahan found that very funny. Um, and they became friendly. Uh, and Peter Sellers agreed to play the part of a rich industrialist in Ray's um, would-be science fiction film called The Alien, which um, he had written uh, back in Calcutta in 1967, and he'd found 
enthusiasm from Arthur C. Clarke. Arthur C. Clarke said, uh, let's try and get this made into a, a Hollywood film. Um, he and Arthur discussed it actually while they were watching um, uh, Stanley Kubrick filming uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey in London because Arthur was the, the screenwriter and he introduced Ray to Kubrick and Kubrick really revered Ray. He, he loved his work. So from that point, Arthur and Ray were talking quite a lot and I knew both of them, uh, you know, later in life. Uh, so I was friendly with Arthur as well. And um, Arthur pursued it. Ray then got uh, a friend of Arthur's. In fact, it was his partner because Arthur was gay. And the Mike Wilson was his name. Um, he became the would-be producer of the science fiction project. And he then introduced him to Sellers. And then he went to, Wilson went to Hollywood and persuaded Columbia to back the film uh, and so Ray ended up in Colombia watching Peter Sellers shooting a film there and talking to legendary figures like um, Bridget Bardo and people like that at parties. Um, but he got the impression that uh, Mike Wilson was, was, was talking big but not going to deliver. And in the end, things went wrong. But Columbia remained very, very interested in producing the film if they got rid of, if he got rid of Mike Wilson as producer. And that's what happened. And for almost 15 years, Columbia said, we would like to do this film with you. Um, and then uh, things went wrong. And we can talk about that if you wish. <laughs> I would like to, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, people might not know <clears throat> because the first film was never made. It was called The Alien. Can you tell us sort of a little bit about the synopsis of what was going to be in this film? Sure, sure. It's about um, a, a young humanoid figure who is piloting a spaceship and the spaceship crashes in a remote village in Bengal, far from the city. Um, and it crashes at night into a pond. And the villagers don't notice it to begin with because it sinks into the pond. And the only bit of it that's showing is the golden spire of the spaceship sticking out of the pond. Now, they have no idea that there is this humanoid creature inside. Uh, they think it's, most of them think it's a temple. Uh, uh, and they start to think they should worship it because they think it's risen out of the ground instead of come down from the sky. They know nothing about where it's come from. They think it's come out of the ground and it must be a, 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 a really important um, religious building of some kind. So uh, they think let's worship it. And then the, the humanoid creature silently and invisibly comes out uh, and they still can't see it because it has magical powers. And it starts to do strange things in the village, invisibly. Um, for instance, it, it, it ripens the paddy field of one of the villagers overnight. And he is amazed and can't explain this at all. And then it sees a mango tree and, and uh, it, it ripens the mango fruit at the wrong time of year. And then, and then it sees a funeral going on of... Um, 
an old, very old man, and his grandson is bending over his corpse on a funeral pyre. And the, the alien invisibly makes the old man open his eyes. The corpse opens its eyes in front of the boy, the grandson, and then closes them again. And the grandson sees this and is very shocked. And the villagers don't see it, so they don't know what's happened. But the, the grandson is convinced that this uh, something magical is going on. Um, and eventually, a US engineer who's been sent into this village to dig tube wells, um, he's from Montana, and he's this kind of can-do figure. He, uh, he works with a local Indian industrialist to try and uh, dig out the pond, or at least that's what he wants to do, to find out what this strange building in it is. And that's when the alien inside the spaceship suddenly realizes that he's in trouble. Uh, and so the last scene of the film has the spaceship suddenly uh, rushing out of the pond and disappearing back into into outer space uh, before they can dig it out and uh, harass the alien uh, with their equipment. Um, so, you know, it's about the landing of a... a, a a rather innocent and uh, humorous young humanoid uh, figure without any eyes, by the way. This is one thing that Ray thought would be interesting. It has sockets for eyes, but no eye. And he called it a sort of whimsy. That was the word he used for it. He, he said, it's not really a, a serious figure, but uh, I tried to put some real science in as well as science fiction. And, and I call it a whimsy. And that's really the cause of what went wrong. I think it was it was a kind of comical creation, and uh, uh, then it was um, it caused uh, interesting controversy in Hollywood. <laughs> in what? Well, hang on, just a second. So it, I, I can imagine in the nineteen sixties. I'm a bit of a science fiction fan, right? So thinking back to the films of the nineteen sixties, that would have stuck out a lot right it would have been amazing but it would have stuck out a lot it wasn't the sort of thing that was no, it, wasn't. it might have worked in the 80s you might think um, yes it, there might be that sort of <laughs> yes. yeah yes. <laughs> so tell us about the controversy then well uh 1967 was when ray was hoping to make it um and the long and short of it is that arthur clark kept on encouraging him columbia kept on encouraging him they got rid of Mike Wilson, uh, and the producers at Columbia said, well, let's pursue this. But it was a very difficult project for an Indian director to make, uh, even the one as famous as Ray. Um, he was not from Hollywood in any way. Um, so there were financial difficulties, technical difficulties, and uh, many, many other problems. And so it kept on being delayed. Um, but in the end, um, in 1982, uh, well, first Ray saw Close Encounters of the Third Kind in the late 1970s, and he thought, oh dear, this is a bit similar to my story. And then he saw E.T. by Steven Spielberg in 1982, and his heart fell because uh, there was definite similarities between his script and the story of E.T., uh, not identical, but many similarities. And 
he frankly thought something's been going on here which is not really very honest because I know that my script was circulated in large numbers in mimeographed form back in 1967 throughout America, as he put it, and certainly a lot within Hollywood. Copies were made to try and sell it to different companies. And Ray never quite could get to the bottom of it, but he felt that, frankly speaking, the script had been seen by um, the producers of E.T. Um, Spielberg denied this. Uh, in 1984, he went to see Arthur Clarke in Sri Lanka, where Arthur lived, and, and he got a bit annoyed when Arthur said, look, I think there are some similarities, rather strange similarities between E.T. and Ray's script. And Spielberg said, um, look, uh, when that script was circulating in Hollywood, which he admitted it had, I was a kid in high school. Now, that's just not true. He was not a kid in high school. He was 20 years old in 1967, and he was becoming a movie director in his 20s. So it's just not accurate. Um, and I, I think the problem is um, that there's no doubt the script was available. Ray didn't want to pursue the similarities. He said, I have better things to do. Um, so we'll never know for sure, but I can tell you this. In 2010, Martin Scorsese, the American director who was a, a huge admirer of Ray, and he, he really does treasure Ray's work, there's no question. And again and again, Scorsese has spoken about how he loves Ray's work ever since he was a teenager. Scorsese openly said in 2010, I have no qualms in admitting that Steven Spielberg's E.T. was influenced by Satyajit Ray's Alien. And even Sir Richard Attenborough pointed this out to me, as he put it. <laughs> right, okay. Uh, and many others have, quite frankly. It's not a surprising fact nowadays. It's certainly difficult to pinpoint exactly where the inspiration for an idea came from. When I was speaking to Mamita, I was thinking about the space race and how that influenced space films. But those films were very much about the space race, about humans going out into space. And those big sci-fi films of the time were really about alien invasions. So something like E.T., something like The Alien, would really have stood out at the time. Arthur C. Clarke, writing in The Times in response to Andrew Robinson's profile on Satyajit Ray, says, It's quite true that as the initial financier of The Alien, I wrote to Ray pointing out some striking parallels between the two screenplays and suggesting that he contact Spielberg. My chief concern was that he might be accused of plagiarism if The Alien was ever made. I certainly never encouraged legal action. Artists have better things to do with their time. In any case, encounters between children and friendly ETs are an old concept in science fiction. Notable examples are Theodore Sturgeon's Mewu's Jet in 1946 and Robert Heinlein's novel Star Beast from 1954. When I broached the subject with Spielberg on his recent visit to Sri Lanka, he replied rather indignantly, Tell Satyajit I was a kid in high school when his script was circulating in Hollywood. I'm quite happy to take his word on the matter and would hate to cause any ill feeling between two of the greatest geniuses the movies have ever produced. 
produced. Arthur C. Clarke writing from Sri Lanka to The Times. Obviously, as discussed, the slight issue there is that Spielberg was in fact 20 at the time. Here's Momita Dasgupta again. I was just uh, going over things and, uh, you know, the alien story, I knew about this alien story, like, you know, that uh, it was, it dates much before Spielberg, like, you know, and then he took this. Um, but I was actually listening to an interview, which is in Bengali. I wish I could, you know, tell you, but it was, it did not have any um, uh, subtitles, but um, but Satyajitray was actually talking in that video. It's available on YouTube. And, uh, you know, something really struck me, which was like very original for the time that he belonged. Uh, over there, uh, you know, and he was expressing a little bit of dissatisfaction that, you know, Spielberg has already made E.T. by then and the uncanny uh, resemblance between E.T. and his work. And he was like, you know, now if I were to make it, like I would be the one who looks like has plagiarized, but very uncanny resemblance, like, you know, the three fingers and he, his alien had he used to raise three fingers, their alien raised four fingers. And uh, like, you know, the structure like this, a little boy, the alien almost looked like this little boy with like, you know, socket like eyes. And then, but there were very subtle differences and while I was listening to that and I was actually, you know, envisioning what the movie Spielberg made, like I could actually understand his distinction. And I found something like, you know, really, really, I don't know. It kind of blew my mind at that point. So, you know, all these E.T. movies and like around that, the sci-fi movies that we used to work, look at over there, the creature would mostly be robot-like would be a robot and they would be pressing buttons in their spaceships to get like around that time, like, you know, how they envisioned aliens. But his way of looking at uh, alien was very different. So he was going by his intuition about life. And he said that, you know, life exists because there is like some chemical reactions and like the amino acids is the basis for all life. So if life has to exist in different planets, it would exist the same way. It wouldn't be very different from what it is, what how we see life. So he talked about uh, this alien who is this, who looks like a little boy. It's almost weightless. It can stand on a leaf. It cannot like, you know, it is so weightless. It can stand on a leaf, but it is actually made out of veins and vessels and blood vessels and a very... A lifelike form, and even the spaceship where he would live was also very organic. Like you know, it would be made out of like you know lifelike things because in order to support life, you need life. And I found that was very striking. His vision about uh, alien and his alien and the life that he envisioned was very very original at that point. I mean, of course, later there have been like, you know, we, we see a lot of movies and things. But in that point in 1960s, when no one had made any movies about any aliens, like his idea about aliens and how he wanted to portray his alien, I thought uh, like, you know, and this whole little thing that life is life. It is same everywhere. And, you know, I, I don't know, the biophysics and uh, physicist inside me kind of got excited about that, that vision of Ray. 
As a listener to this podcast, I assume that you're interested in physics. And if you're still wondering whether you should delve into Sajidit Ray's work, for one last time, here's Andrew Robinson. Science, in the broader sense, quite often in the films, really quite often. Um, physics, I would say, is, apart from the science fiction, is restricted largely to comments on um, machines uh, such as railway trains, that kind of thing, uh, and how they work, and then astronomy. He 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 had a keen interest in astronomy, and there in his last film, there's a there's an exchange about astronomy where the 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 elderly man who's the hero of the film says to his great nephew that isn't it strange that um, uh, the sun and the moon uh, are of roughly the same size in the sky, they appear to be, and that the Earth is the right size for solar and lunar eclipses. Isn't that a strange fact? How do you explain it? And the boy can't explain it. So um, the, the elderly hero says, well, it's, it's true, and it's one of those magical mysteries um, in, in, in astronomy, which we can't really explain. Um, and, and so they make a, a sort of joke out of it, but it's semi-serious. Um, and, and I think it's fair to say that there are a few other references of that kind. But I don't want to give you the impression that Ray is a physicist. He's not that, but he's very, very sympathetic to the scientific attitude. And in no way was he openly religious. I mean, very many Indian directors are sympathetic to Hinduism and other Indian religions. But Ray was pretty much uh, uh, free of religious devotion of any kind. His, he was dominated by rational thinking, I think, throughout his life. But he was immensely creative as well. And, of course, creative people have other sources of inspiration. But he did say, and I'll, I'll stop here, he did say science, I think, will explain the mystery of creation and the creation of life in the same way as the the atom has been explained by physics eventually. But I don't think science will ever explain creativity, how ideas occur in a flash. He said, I, I don't think science will explain that. Thank you so much to Momita Dasgupta and Andrew Robinson for talking to me for this episode of the Physics World Stories podcast. And don't forget, you can read more about Satyajit Ray from Andrew Robinson on the Physics World website, physicsworld.com, and in the Physics World magazine this month. We'll be back next month with something else from this wonderful world of physics. And thank you very much for listening. Physics World.